Good morning, DJ and PK. It is Friday. The weekend is almost here. That's awesome. You know what's also awesome? We've got football this weekend. Yeah, NFC and AFC title games on Sunday. Way cool. If it's anything like last week, wow, won't we be in for a huge treat. Lincoln Kennedy, Raider analyst and big-time performer, professional, and college football player. He's going to break it down. He's going to tell us, what about the Raiders' job? Here's Lincoln Kennedy. As far as Matthew Stafford, you know, I always thought he had the talent. And I'm wondering, has he proven to this point that it was more about the talent around him or lack of talent around him when he was with the Lions failing all those years and now he's got good talent or do you see something different that maybe he's better this year than he ever has been? I I, I think it's the the, the contributing talent around him when I look at Matthew Stafford. Look, I I went out and placed a bet for Matthew Stafford to make the NFC Championship game the moment that he was traded to the the Rams because I thought that's what the Rams needed and that's what Matthew Stafford needed. Um, he's one of those quarterbacks that has a, a, you know, he's probably on the verge of being in a discussion for Hall of Fame. Um, but he's that talented of a quarterback that I thought that, I thought that came out. Uh, and, and he's got the, the you know, the, the other contributors around him um, for him to, to go over the top. The Rams are a better team with him. They were a quarterback away. They made the change uh, from Jared Goff to Matthew Stafford, and I think they are a championship-caliber team. <laughs> it's, it's unfortunate because um, I don't see them getting past this weekend because the, the, the 49ers have had their, their number. And, you you and see look, the 49ers I, winning? Well, I, I see the 49ers winning, and wow. mainly because I've, I've been in situations like this where a team, uh, you know, an opposing team, especially in your division, for whatever it's worth, has your number. It, it, they, they, they just know how to beat you. You look at, I think it's the last six times, I think yeah. it is. Um, you look at this team, that, and the 49ers find a way to win. Yeah, the 49ers are no slouch. It's not that slap a, you know, throw a thing, you know, any, any caution to the win. They're, they're no slouch. They're a good football team. And people sit there and say, well, the Rams are that better. The 49ers have had their number. So it's one of those situations where you're going up against a nemesis that knows how to beat you. Um, so I don't know if you're, you're coming down the win again. I mean, and for what it's worth right now, the way I'm looking at it, bro, is it's, it's, I think it's 49ers and, and Kansas City in another, in another Super Bowl championship. All right, then I'll ask you, Lincoln, will the 49ers offense at least score a touchdown in this game? Yeah, they'll score a touchdown. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm it. stunned that they won that game without scoring an offensive touchdown last week. Right. Yeah, that's true, true story. True story. But, you know, I, I, think, I think they will find a way to uh, – I mean, they'll be able to put some points up. Yeah, they're going to have to, obviously. Yeah. Uh, and, I mean, they think it's not like they're devoid of skill offensively. Uh, it's just, I, I just – it seems like Jimmy G, I don't know how to explain it, but when he makes a bad pass and the defender's got a pick six, but his head is turned or something happens, it seems like he's like he's a cat with nine lives or something, yeah. and he still manages to come out, even though that he's flirting with potential disaster. Yeah, Jimmy G is not the one who's going to put them over top. It's, it's everything else that contributes to the reason why the 49ers are going to beat the Rams. Okay. Uh, and then you already mentioned uh, KC. Uh, the the thing that uh, I like 
about and I'm I'm an offensive guy. I love I love gunslingers. You know, I like Brett Favre and these guys who just take chances because I don't have any investment in whether the they lose, win, or I just want to be entertained. So right. I don't have a team. But right now, I mean, I love Burl. I mean, I, I think everybody does. I, I was talking earlier. I look at him, two words come to mind, hot and cocky, because it seems like he's got both of them. And if I'm Casey's defense, I'm, I'm very much concerned about him. As you should be. But here's the thing. And I told my son this last week when we were watching the, the Kansas City Buffalo game. You know, he, he came to me. He was, he was jumping up and down because he was like, Buffalo's going to win. Buffalo's going to win. And I'm like, there's 13 seconds left, and you've got Patrick Mahomes. Now, if you understand the game the way I look at it, that's an eternity. You know, there, there, was, there, was certain, there were so many scenarios that were going through my head. I was like, you don't kick this through the end zone. You squib kick it. You try to run off some clock. 13 seconds, and all you need is a field goal to send in overtime. Yeah. And they've got one of the better kickers in the National Football League. I said, that's way too much time. And he's like, no, no, 13 seconds. With timeouts. Exactly. 13 seconds and timeouts. That's an eternity if you, if you have an experienced quarterback. And what did Buffalo do? They, they forgot to cover, you know, Travis Kelsey. Who? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> on, on the inside, more importantly, they, they, they wanted to play a wide zone. They were protecting the sidelines rather than protecting the middle of the field. So, so in, in my estimation, situational football has been grossly overlooked for quite some time. They don't teach it the way they used to. And, and you don't practice it. You don't experience it. You, 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 poss- you, you can't understandably go through a game and say that, let me, leave, let me leave one of the more potent tight ends wide open in the middle of the field with timeouts. Yeah. You, you, just, you, you just don't have it. So starting on the 25, they, they, just, they, they picked apart you know, the Buffalo Bills defense with 13 seconds left and made it seem like it was they – got, they got even beyond – field goal range. They got well into field goal oh, yeah, range right, in order right, to right. kick it. Gotcha. So, you know, that's, that's, that's understandably that's something that you, you just don't do. But my point is this, is that when you talk about an offense of Kansas City, I don't know how you don't prevent them from getting the football in the end. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. Because it's almost like arena football. It's almost like the, the, the offense that has the ball last is going to win. And, and, and there's nothing you can do about it, no matter how good you think your defense is. And it's not, it's not about what Cincinnati did to Kansas City a few weeks ago. It's, it's, right, it's different right, now. Right. You know, I think that both offenses can go up and down and score on each other's defense. It's when it goes down, and who has the, the ball last wins? Coaching matters in, in you know I've heard some the squib kick thing was it came up immediately you know should they have squib kicked it run off some more time uh, should they have uh, holding is what a five yard penalty so just yeah. tackle guys off the line of scrimmage uh, okay you know but that's you can't ex- end the game on a defense penalty right and that's extreme <laughs> but the idea the thing that you said really hits home the guarding of the sidelines. When the other team has its complement of timeouts, who cares about the sidelines? They've got the timeouts. There's only 13 seconds to go. It's not like they're going to run 10 plays or run out of timeouts. Right. Yeah. And it made that's no what, sense to me. About. Situational football has been grossly overlooked. And it's to, the, it's to the degree where even coaches, 
young coaches don't understand how to manage timeouts and how to manage the game in the end because they, they, they thought there were other things that were, that were more important. Yeah, but these guys are professionals, Lincoln, man. And you got a full <laughs> staff full of them. I, I, I don't understand that one. I mean, what a blunder. Yeah. I, I'm wondering it, it, how much, particularly on the offensive side, how irritated the offensive side, the offensive players are with that that very decision with the timeouts and the sideline stuff. Because it basically cost you. Who knows? It could have cost you the Super Bowl. Well, yeah. think about this way. If you're an offensive player, you did your job. Right. I mean, we, we, we saw, what was it, was it 26 or 27 points in the last two minutes? Yeah. You did you your know, job like twice, I mean, not you, just you, once. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you, I mean, you, you can't, if you're an offensive player, offensive lineman, quarterback, anything else, you go out there and you have a wide receiver who shakes a defensive back to where he falls and he's wide open for a touchdown. Yeah. You can't ask for anything better. No. I mean, you, you really can't. You, you can't. That was fourth down, wasn't it, too? I think so. I mean, yeah. But I'm, just, I'm talking about the situations for an offense. Your job is to score. And then you look at the other side, and people always want to argue about the, the overtime rules and stuff like that. Look, defenses get paid, too. They're supposed to be out there to do a job. You know, the, the fact is, is that they're, you know, they're once upon a time, I remember coaches when I played, practice situations. They would set up situations. Okay, what do we do if we have a minute left? And there's, you know, they've got three timeouts. What do we do? That type of thing. And you're practicing out there. I don't think they do that anymore. I don't think coaches study that anymore. And I think that's a viable part of the game that's been grossly overlooked. And from going forward, it's something that you need to consider because yeah. it's something that comes into view. Whether you realize it or not, it happens. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I can't argue with you on that. Uh, Lincoln Kennedy joined as Raider analyst. Now, I've heard, and you probably heard too, uh, Jim Harbaugh, that the Raiders yeah. might be interested. Uh, what can you tell us? I'm not a Harbaugh fan. I never have been. Um, I think he's uh, I think he's arrogant. I think he's one of these guys that has to be a control freak. Um, but I do know that for, for what it's worth, the Raiders' job is a very enticing job. You think about it. You've got a young team got a quarterback you've got salary cap space you know you've got everything that you want if you want to come into a professional situation um an exciting new stadium and everything else um to 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 try to you know you can you can build on uh and you got a you got an owner who really doesn't want to micromanage it's not like when al was alive and may you rest in peace but al was a micromanager he, he controlled the coaches that came under the building because he was a football guy. Mark Davis is not the same. So you have an ideal situation um, if you want to look at as far as, as, as the, the job openings out there. Um, but I'm not a big Harbaugh fan. And so from what I've heard, I heard that he's, you know, he's definitely on a list. Um, there might be some guys like Ed Dodd who worked with them. They worked together when they were at the Raiders. When, when actually, when I played, um, they were all together with the Raiders. That that might be on the, the, the short list. But you know what I appreciate from Mark Davis and the, the powers that be, the circle that's around him, is that they are doing their due diligence and they're 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 taking their time to find the guy who's right. Because um, in talking to Mark this past year, they're close. 
The Raiders are close. They're, they're, they, and they, and they, they need to get it right with when it comes to general manager and head coach because they're on the verge of something special. Now, you already know what you have to compete with in the division alone. Uh, the Chargers uh, and the, 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 the Chiefs, the Broncos are a quarterback away of being competitive. But you already know what you have to be uh, to be, can be with the championship. But they're close. And, and they have to. So it's, it's, an, it's special that they get it right. And I'm glad that they're taking the time to find their way. That's Lincoln Kennedy coming up next. Well, BYU, what's going to happen with their quarterbacks? Where can they get some depth? Jay Drew, the Deseret News, is going to join us. Stay with us. Valentine's Day is coming soon, guys. Take care of that special person in your life with flowers from Jimmy's Flowers. Order early for the best selection at jimmysflowers.com or visit them in Bountiful, Layton, or Ogden. That's Jimmy's Flowers. Joining us now is, oh my gosh, I am so humbled to be able to talk to him. He is the Utah Sports Writer of the Year, multiple times of the Deseret News now, Jay Drew. Jay, privileging us with this opportunity really humbles me because you have so much hardware on your mantle, and I've won the award approximately zero times. Yeah, that's just absolute travesty. <laughs> Everyone knows when I was over at the trip, you were my role model, <laughs> the guy I wanted to be. More importantly, I wanted the beat that you had. So, And you it got it, and you though. look me in the dust right now, man. I'm choking on your exhaust fumes as you've just blown by me. Well, even a blind – or what did Rick Majerus used to say of uh, – one-eyed man is king of a blind country or something like that. No. One-eyed man is <laughs> are, are blind, but no. One-eyed one-eyed man is king in the land of the blind. Yeah, okay. <laughs> I knew it was something like that. Oh, I got something all about his... a squirrel finding an acorn or something. He had a bunch of them, but I've got all um, of his sayings down. 10 years. <laughs> I labored. Oh, bad. <laughs> So lots of things to talk with the sport or the sports writer of the year. Um, football always is a topic. BYU football is never not a topic, right? We all know that. You've been doing that. How long have you been doing that now? Uh, since uh, 2008. So whatever, uh, Max Hall's junior season was yeah. my first full-time on the beat. So whatever that is, 12, yeah. 13, 14 years. You're getting up there, man. That's awesome that you've been doing yeah, all this uh, time. Yeah, it's been great. Of course, now I, I kind of split my time between BYU and Utah. I do BYU football and other sports and then Utah basketball, which this year I kind of got the short end of the stick on, but uh, yeah. I think they'll bounce back, but, but we will see. That's funny because for a while I did BYU football and Utah basketball. <laughs> yeah, see, I'm following in your footsteps. Just, yeah. You paved the way. <laughs> so BYU football uh, quarterback is a big deal. Yeah. Hall, I mean, they've got to have a capable backup because Hall has not proven that he can go the distance. I mean, it's just a fact. He's wildly talented, and I would love to see him be out there for most likely 13 games, counting the bowl game, obviously. But until I see it, you know, I'm not going to believe it. And right now, with Romney deciding that he wants to go somewhere, I don't know what he's going to do. I don't know if he said what he's going to do or if he's done or if he's uh, still interested in playing or exactly what. But I think they've got an issue there at backup quarterback. Uh, What do you think? Yeah, I mean, you would think by now that Jacob Conover would be ready. Um, 
and I don't know that he's not, but he didn't look all that great in the only appearance that he had against Utah State when he came in. They kind of uh, basically Tyler Algier won that game for him, you know, running the ball, but in the second half. Um, but, yeah, I agree. I, I, I think they need a, a backup, somebody that can step in. And, and uh, you know, Jaron Hall has had, what, concussion issues. He had a hip problem that caused him to sit out an entire year. Then last year he had multiple injuries, the ribs, the uh, ankle. So, yeah, I think they definitely need uh, a guy like Baylor Romney who's had some experience and can has had some starts under his belt and can come in and, and be that stopgap guy until Jacob Conover is ready. Um, and maybe Jacob is. I, we don't get to watch practice anymore. Uh, we probably won't get to watch much of spring ball. But but I think that's where they sit right now is uh, I think they could really use a, somebody with a few starts under their belt as an assurance policy in case, you know, Jaron Hall gets hurt again. Jackson Dart, come on down. <laughs> Wow, that would be something, wouldn't it? That yeah. would be that would be a crazy turn of events. Well, I've heard that uh, folks at the high school level are saying it is he's going to go play for Kiffin, and uh, I don't know why that it hasn't been announced. And I know some people who have talked to the family, and they've said that it's probably going to be Kiffin and Old Miss. Uh, so I've got all sorts of folks around him saying, in, some say it probably, some say it emphatically. Somewhere in between, too, some of them say it. So uh, I don't know that that's an, that's an option. But it's nice flirting. And, and I was also told that, well, if Hall was leaving, BYU would be front and center. Yeah, I think that that's the big thing is, is you look at Jackson Dart, and he obviously isn't going to transfer somewhere where he has to sit behind somebody. And, and Jaron Hall, he's proven – you know he's played well enough. I think he's he's you got to be he's got to be the starter, or uh, you know unless Jackson Dart would come in and just blow him away, which you know maybe he could, but but he doesn't know the offense, he doesn't know the system, um, and Jaron Hall does. So yeah, I'm hearing roughly what you're hearing, PK. Maybe not as emphatically um, that that it's a done deal with. Ole Miss, but I've I've definitely heard that he's he's leaning in that direction, and I'm I'm kind of uh, wondering too why an announcement hasn't been made, um, because you would assume the young man would want to get into school and you know kind of get acclimated that way and and play spring ball at wherever he goes. So it is kind of interesting that it's kind of dragging on this long, but but uh, yeah yeah it's uh, it's probably. You know, I don't know Ole Miss's quarterback situation down to a T. Obviously, you know, they're losing Matt Corral. Um, but uh, it would seem like that would be the best choice for him of the finalists where he could go and play right away and there wouldn't be a, any sort of quarterback battle or anything like But there obviously would be at, uh, at, at BYU. Aaron Roderick, I think, is determined to get as many quarterbacks on scholarship as he can. Figuring, you know, the more the merrier, let it sort itself out. A uh, couple of guys that I've heard uh, in this class and then even junior year, they've got their eyes on. Uh, do you know of any of those guys? You mean from the high school quarterback range? Yeah, so they'll either be a senior or a junior this year because I think it's Aaron's philosophy uh, to yeah. not get caught short. 
Yeah, I think Aaron one time told me that they best case scenario they'd like to sign one quarterback a year. Um, maybe people may, might forget they signed their, the Cade Fanagan yeah. kid from uh, Boise State transfer. Um, or I'm not even I'm not sure if he's a scholarship guy or a walk on, but but uh, you know they've got him and he does have a little bit of playing experience against BYU, ironically. Um, but uh, so don't forget about him. But as far as high school kids, I'm not exactly sure who they're who they're zeroing in on um, out there. Uh, I know I've heard there's some good ones. Yeah. I know they were mildly interested in the Washington State uh, Jaden Delora, uh, but he ended up going elsewhere. I, I know some. People yeah, I think they recruited him out of high school. I think he yeah, got a kid at Southern uh, California, and then Wilson's younger brother. Uh, who's oh, that's right. Isaac Wilson is slated uh, to, to move also, in there. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I think uh, you're right about Roderick. I think he was at Utah long enough, and he's been at BYU long enough to see what happens to quarterbacks in this day and age and, and how you can never have enough quality quarterbacks. I mean, one year BYU went through, like, it seemed like, like five Tanner Mangum's year. And I know back in 2003, uh, that when they lost three to zero to to Utah in that Blizzard oh, yeah. game, I think they played like four or five quarterbacks. So, yeah, you can just never have enough good quarterbacks. That's for sure. I've also in conversations with the coaches. You know, it's not like they have apprehension about going into the Big Twelve, but I think their eyes are wide open. I don't know how open fans' eyes are, but they believe, and I don't think it's a situation where they're trying to set low expectations. Uh, I think it's more realistic that this is going to be a, a transition that's not going to be easy. To what level of difficulty remains to be seen, but that they they know that they're they're in for it here. Doesn't mean they can't compete, but it's not going to be a little walk in the park. I, I don't know if you've had conversations with these guys about this, but what do you think about the transition that w- awaits them the year after next? Yeah, I think it's going to be very very difficult. Um, of course, we're talking about football right now, and and uh, you know I think they kind of got a wake up call when they went and played at Baylor. Just how physically more dominant the Baylor players were, especially on the lines, and uh, and then in the skill positions, the speed as well. So yeah, I, I totally agree. I I think they're going to take their lumps, uh, and it's going to take a lot of uh, kind of a recruiting overhaul. Uh, in a way, I think right now, I think in a lot of ways they've kind of recruited based on potential and based on ability to develop guys and and have them in the program, and then also get a, lo- a bunch of preferred walk-ons for depth that way. And I just think they got to change their mindset and go and basically get the the better players like Utah does right out of high school, guys that can step in and and contribute right away and don't need a lot of development or growth and of course you got the mission thing too the the missions which throws another kind of wrench into it but but also in basketball um, I know a lot of BYU fans are kind of reveling that Utah has lost nine straight games but but I you know I think the Pac-12 is really good I've, I've watched it closely obviously the last two years and and BYU, if you think the Pac-12 is good, wait till BYU gets yeah. in the Big 12. There you go. And uh, with all those teams. So, you know, I, I would say be careful about what you tease, you know, your your fellow or rival uh, fans about because 
BYU could very, very easily be in that same boat in a couple of years. Jay Drew, the Deseret News, joining us this morning. You speak of basketball. I know you don't cover them for the Cougars, but you, you're obviously aware of, you've seen what Mark Pope has done as far as the transfer portal, and he's mined that uh, very much so, and bringing in several players every year. It, it seems to me for BYU, it may, you know, it might be hard, although they've done a really good job of bringing in non-LDS guys, uh, more so than than probably Bronco did, and and being able to uh, be contributors. So you got to give them credit for that. Uh, but at the same time, I'm wondering how much do you think that they go transfer portal? Because I've always thought that for BYU, particularly BYU football, because it's big time. You know, it's just you know sixty some thousand people, and we've all been on the road with the Cougars. They go crazy there, and the, you know we had on uh, Samson Nakua, and he used to talk about that every every week uh, when they would come off a road game. He would be surprised, and if those of us who've been on the road with BYU, we're not surprised. We've seen it. So my point is, you know, it's it's big time football. And I would think that a 20, 21, 22-year-old who has a more level of maturity and focus would, even if he's not uh, used to the LDS culture, would be receptive to what they have to offer because it's not going to be a short-term deal. I mean, it's not going to be a long-term deal. It's going to be a short-term deal. How much do you think that they're going to be able to have success in filling those spots? Because it was clear this year that, particularly on defense, when they got hit by injuries, man, there was a massive drop-off. Yeah, for sure. It was it was a huge drop off, and you know, I I, I told people BYU's ones their first stringers in football can pretty much play with anybody, but there's just a bigger drop off between them and Power Five schools when you when you hit the second teamers and and the third teamers. I mean, look at what you know Ohio State and Utah were able to do in the Rose Bowl just with with not their mainline guys. They were still you know, really talented. So, yeah, I think I think this whole opening up of the transfer portal and the one-time transfer allowance kind of helps BYU in that way because you can get a guy to transfer in and he can play right away. He doesn't have to sit around a year and obey the honor code and all that and when he's not even playing. But so I, I think it, that in that regard, it really helps. You can get a guy in there, plays right away. You keep him busy with with obviously with school and then and then the team and and the you know sports and all that so so yeah I think I think that's definitely what they need to hammer home on and I from what I understand they've saved a couple of uh, scholarships for transfer portal guys they signed 19 what in December in the early signing period but I I think they're they realize that that the transfer portal has got to be a constant down there. At least, uh, at least the first few years of the Big Twelve before they get it going. So, they definitely need some immediate help, especially on defense. Jay Drew, the D News, joining us this morning on DJ and PK. Big deal uh, when it was unprecedented contract, unprecedented commitment. The word unprecedented was thrown out there several times by the athletic administration uh, when uh, Kalani Sataki. Uh, hooked up for, what, another four or five years, whatever it is. Uh, have you been able to uncover exactly, maybe not exactly, but to some degree, what unprecedented literally means? <laughs> That's a good question. I, I, you know, I only, I haven't only in the, from what I've talked to assistant coaches 
uh, kind of on and off the record, and they've all assured me that, that they're all getting a nice kind of uh, salary bump out of it. So maybe that's what it means. Unprecedented, I imagine, means that Kalani's probably making more than any BYU head football coach has ever made. Um, of course, we'll probably never know the exact figure um, because of, uh, you know, they're a private school and don't have to release that. But but uh, just from what I've talked to assistant coaches, they've assured me that that, that wasn't just, you know, hollow talk, that, that they're going to, to uh, receive a significant pay increase across the board. As far as upgrading facilities, I'm assuming that, that maybe in more support staff um, it comes with it. Um, and then, you know, I think, uh, I think a few of these BYU coaches were approached by uh, other schools, not just Kalani. I'm talking about the assistant coaches and right. coordinators. Right. And I think, uh, I think this was a nice preemptive strike from BYU to, to keep them around realizing how important that continuity was. So, so I think uh, so far, you know, knock on wood, none of them have left yet. So I, I think that that salary bump uh, kept a lot of those guys around, which in past years maybe they would have would have left. That was Jay Drew of the Deseret News. Coming up next, weekly visit from Joe Ingles, doing what he does, never misses, always on time. He'll be joining us next right here on 97.5, 1280 The Zone. Good morning. Welcome on in. As we do every Friday after a Thursday when Joe Ingles comes on, we, we replay it. What's going through his mind? Here's Joe Ingles with his weekly visit. Hey, yeah! This is the Zone Sports Network. Back to Joe and he'll flush. And it's time to hear from the best looking, most charismatic, and certainly the most intelligent member of the Utah Jazz. Jingle Bells! Joe Ingles. Gives it back to Joe till the cop slams it in. And yes, for the record, Joe wrote this introduction. This is the Joe Ingles Show <laughs> with DJ and PK. Who? On 97.5, 1280, The Zone. And The Zone Sports Network. Jazz still got many games to go. Plenty of time to purchase a Ford Fan Zone all-you-can-eat ticket to an upcoming game and receive unlimited hot dogs, soda, popcorn, nachos, and ice cream starting as low as 30 bucks per ticket. Visit utahjazz.com or call 325-2999 to buy your Ford Fan Zone ticket. Joe, DJ's off. You got PK. It is your lucky day. How the heck are you, Joseph? <laughs> you guys just take turns and having a week off. I need to figure out this job. <laughs> it's our all-star break. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Yeah, there you go. You guys got yours coming up here in a couple of weeks. Nine days you guys got off. I looked at the schedule. You play on a Wednesday, and uh, you don't play again, I think, till the following Friday. And you've been through this a lot, many seasons now. At this time of year, are you? how much are you looking forward to that? Because it's a nice break to relax, be with family, do whatever it is you're going to do. Yeah, I mean, uh, I guess it's a bit of a two-way sword because obviously we, we love playing, we love doing our, our job, which is something we're lucky to do, to, to play basketball for a living. But um, on the flip side of that, obviously the, the games, the schedule, um, even at certain points of the year, I think we've always talked about it as a team, like depending on where you are in the standing, sometimes the, the, the lead-up to All-Star break for some teams is the mindset of like 
we're just trying to get there and survive and, and get the all-star break for a break. And obviously the teams that are uh, higher on the on the standings and, and fighting for something are, are trying to trying to get those last few wins before the break. So obviously with a bit of the kind of funk we're in now, um, it's probably a bit of both. Some, but I don't know if guys want to guys are ready for it or if we, we're going to kind of push for that all-star break. Obviously, we, I don't know how many games we've got, six or seven games, I think, still. Yeah. Um, it's, a, it's a good opportunity for us to to really kind of lock in and, and, and finish this little stretch off. It's almost kind of two-thirds of the year by, by right. all-star break. And, right. Um, finish off on a, on a strong note and, and get into all-star break and obviously get away and, and spend time with our families and whatever and, and then come back and, and finish off strong. You talk about that little funk, and, and Jordan Clarkson was talking about it. Uh, no, no doubt, still believes in the talent, still believes in the ability to get things done. It's just a matter of getting guys back. Is that the message that, I don't know if you guys are talking about it within the team, but is that the message that, it, whether it's spoken about individually or in a group, or just underlying, we've already proven it, we get our guys back, we'll be good, just hang on till we get there. Yeah, it's, I mean, you don't want to be in like a, a hang-on mindset because I think, over the, I mean, obviously the last couple of years with, with COVID and stuff has been difficult for every, not not just as basketball players, but for everyone in, in life. And um, prior to COVID, I, I think our team and the organisation as well have done a really good job um, of that kind of next man up mindset. Like I think I said it last week or the week before, like we've, we've dealt with a lot of stuff this last few years with injuries and obviously more recently kind of COVID and stuff like that but we've always done a really good job of, of the system being so kind of I guess ingrained in, in the guys that it was the next man up no matter who slipped into that rotation for someone being out injury or COVID or whatever it was we were able to kind of with, with, withhold a, a certain level of play um, Regardless of who was out, whether that was me going into the starting lineup or Rudy's out for a game, or whatever that, that it looked like, and, and whatever the reasoning was for people being out, we, we were always able to to do that. And I think, I mean, even this year, we, we've got a really deep team. We, we've and again, like like last week, we, we've shown we're capable of playing to a certain level. Um, but we've also, like I said last week too, we've also been on the other side of that of. Not necessarily walking and think we're going to win, but we we can't have that mindset. We 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 need to show up every week and or every every second night, really. Um, and regardless of who's out, like like I said, COVID this year is going to be something that every team's dealt with. We're dealing with. Um, we, we have obviously more recently, and um, you've just got to find a way. Like every day is almost like a flip of the coin of who who's going to be there with yeah. <laughs> with COVID and stuff like that, and and. Part of that is in our control with obviously what we can do outside of um, uh, or the organisation of, of what we do outside with our family, friends, seeing people, whether we can't go out to dinner just to be able to protect ourselves, whatever that looks like for, for each individual. But some of it as well is, is out of our control. So whoever's kind of there on a day-to-day basis is, has got to got to be ready to play, play the right way, play the way we want to play. And, and when we do do that, I think we can still be a really good team. Um, I didn't hear what JC said, but obviously I I still have the the absolute belief in, in our group that 
when we are playing the way we want to play and, and it hasn't been um, consistent, when we are playing the way we want to and consistently, we, we obviously showed we can, we can match it with anybody. For me, anyway, it's been fun to see some of these young guys get out there and find their way in the league. Forrest, Paschal, and a couple other guys. Uh, do you yeah. sort of see yourself in them? Now, yours was seven, eight years ago, into what they're doing, trying to find their way in the league? Um, yeah, I mean, I think they, they've, they're probably uh, a bit ahead of me. I think they've, they understand who they are as, as players, and um, obviously they're the figuring out part comes with now you're on the court. Now you're you're playing NBA minutes. Eric played a little bit in Golden State, where was kind of up and down depending on injuries and stuff with that 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 club. Um, Trent for us didn't really play much last year, but obviously this year is kind of the the first guy off the band, uh, first guy to to be in the rotation when someone's out, and, and even when we're fully healthy, he, he obviously is still out there. Um, at time to time and uh, I think probably more for Trent than Eric because Eric kind of knows who he is and what he can do and um, we're <laughs> I kind of feel bad for Trent sometimes like we're all trying to help him and he, he's such a good kid and he works his ass off and um, sometimes we're all he comes to a timeout and we're all telling him something because there's so <laughs> many he's so talented and he's got so much potential to, to grow on already who he is um, and we can all see that, and it's like him, him just kind of, uh, I guess, piecing it all together. And obviously, we're all trying to help him, but there's a, a level of that too where you don't want to um, kind of fill him up. Like he, he, he obviously wants to to figure it out himself a little bit. So, um, well, we obviously help him. We, we've got a, a, obviously a, a lot of guys that can help in that that aspect. And he's he's a point guard, and he's got he's got Mike and. Um, I mean, to, to be playing kind of behind Mike and with Mike and be practicing with Mike, there's probably no better person for, for a guy like Trent to be around. So, um, yeah, it's, I mean, he, he's been really good this year. He's, he's helped our team a lot. He'll obviously continue to, to help the team. Um, but, yeah, no, it's impressive what, what he's able to do out there sometimes. So when you guys go to lift weights, does Pascal just go outside and bench press automobiles? <laughs> he's a he's a strong dude. Um, I remember uh, I remember playing against him when he was in Golden State, and I don't know what the play was called. They used to run this play for him where he'd kind of catch it at the elbow with a bit of movement, and obviously with the shooters they had out there, um, probably a little a little bit less last year with, with injuries and stuff like that. But um, and he would just kind of bully ball whoever was, and, and I mean he did it to, to Rudy, he did it to guards, like it was just some. It's what he's obviously he's obviously done it a lot this year too. Um, yeah, he's a he's a strong dude. I think that's kind of my point with him and trainers. He he is very clear and understands who he is and and what he can do to help the team. Um, like Trent, Trent's figuring that out and 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 he's figuring out quickly too. He, he's he's playing at a high level, but yeah, Eric just knows knows what he does. Nobody knows what he can get to to get a bucket. Um, he plays with unbelievable energy. Uh, I think in that position that he's in where he's kind of in and out of the rotation a little bit, depending on who, who else is in or out. Um, but, yeah, I mean, he's got a, a hell of an attitude and he, he works every day and, and obviously he comes out and, like I said, he, he, he plays at a level of energy that we we could probably all take. Um, we, all, we all need to play 
that higher level, high energy. Um, so yeah, they're, they're, they're two younger guys that are that are that have been really good this year for us. I spent the first part of the season, the first half of the season, when we talk about the team and who they were playing. I say I don't care who they're playing. It's all about the team, and if the team does what it's supposed to do, I believe in its talent, and it's going to be successful. Now, hear me out a second here. I've, I've changed my mind a little bit. It's not like I've, I've lost confidence in the team because I, too, believe get the guys back, and this is a proven commodity. They'll do what they're supposed to do. The talent rises to the level of where it's supposed to be at all times. I've seen it a million years. But I have concern about the Jazz and the standings, and it has nothing to do with the Jazz. It's about as I watch the conference and I hone in on the conference, I don't pay attention as much to the Eastern Conference, just a few of the top teams. But in the Western Conference, I mean, this is my job, so I've got to pay attention. And I look at Phoenix, uh, and I look at Golden State, I look at Memphis, and now even Dallas and Denver, despite all their injuries, are hanging in there. They're five games above 500. That's very impressive to me. And so, uh, to me, I'm no longer just thinking about you guys because these other teams are really good, and it's going to be tough to beat them even at full strength. What do you think about that? Am I up in the night, or you think there's some validity to it? No, no, I mean, I mean, I'd extend it probably more than a few good, like there's 29 good, obviously different teams are on different levels and, and going through different things. And obviously at this point of the year, you can see the teams that are, like you said, like that, that top kind of half, the top 15 and, and, and the, the, the bottom 10 that are, that are trying to figure it out or young or, or figuring out players where they're going to be in the next 10 days or whatever the trade deadline is. Um, but I, I mean, it's a yeah, it's a it's a real thing. I think it's kind of what I was what I was saying before. Like, and I, I think I said it last week too. Is is we can't we, when we when we play the way we play. We obviously, like I said, we we can win and beat any team in this league. But we also can't walk into a game just assuming we're going to win because of of who we're lining up with or, or what it looks like. And we'd been on the flip side of it, playing teams that were were beaten down by COVID, and, and you're playing guys that are on two ways and 10 days. And, and obviously we're kind of on the flip side of that now, but again, we're, uh, I think our team holds ourselves to a certain level that, like I said, we're next man up and whoever's out there, we, we expect to, to, to win. Um, obviously the goal is to, to finish as high as, as high as possible and, and be playing our best basketball heading into the playoffs. So we don't want to be peaking right now um obviously we're saying that too we we still have to be playing at a, at a higher level and showing that we're on the right track to be to be playing our best basketball in the year i think we uh, are a little kind of inconsistent with that we we show patch up we get down 20 last night we show this unbelievable fight to, to get back and have a chance to to kind of be in the game with a few minutes to go uh, until the last couple of minutes and um yeah i mean we <laughs> every team like you said those teams that are I mean, the Lakers are down there, but they're obviously getting guys back. Clippers have got some injuries and, and are going to get guys back. And, and every team's kind of going to keep getting better. Obviously, you know, the, we all know the, the West is extremely deep and you've got younger teams like the Memphis team, who's um, kind of what we were three, four, five years ago, figuring right. it out as a, as a group and, and, and playing really well together. And um, we're on the other side of that. We're, we're the older team now that... Um, was that Memphis team and, and teams are coming for us. We've no, I wouldn't say we've got a ball, but we 
we finished first last year. We we played a certain way last year that that made teams have to de- defend, defend us a certain way. And um, when you are like that, it's that's how those Golden State teams, the, the Cleveland teams back in the days, why they are able to sustain such a high level at times because they figure out this is the way we're going to play. Teams try and adjust and, and obviously scout and defend a certain way, and then you've got to figure out another way. Like how are we going to be? Now you've got to be even better. You've got to be on point with with spacing. We've got to be really good in transition. We've got to be really good in um, whatever we call executing it because teams are going to scout us. Teams are going to stop me trying to stop me going left. Teams are going to stop Rudy trying to roll and us finding him on the hut. And the teams that are great, the teams that win the championships, teams that are in the finals and stuff like that play at that extremely high level and regardless of the scout they're able to execute and the spacing's great and all those things there's a, a list of things that you can you can say but um, they're, they're the things that we've been inconsistent with we we haven't executed at times we haven't got back to transition we've the spacing's been bad and it forces us to turn over whatever that looks like and um, like you said I mean <laughs> there's a lot of good teams in this league and Regardless of who's out there, every there's only 400 and whatever 50 players in the world that play in the NBA, and and they're all really good. Like there's no one here that um, necessarily shouldn't be here or doesn't deserve to be here. Everyone everyone here is an NBA player, and and you have to respect that. And come out against a team that's hit by COVID or whatever it is, and the, the guys are going to be out there trying to prove their worth or whether they do deserve to be here or not. Like whatever that looks like from each individual. So it's. Um, yeah, we're gonna. I mean, we're gonna have a fight on our hands for for the rest of the year. Obviously, up to All Star break, and especially, and then we get through that and kind of get away from each other and the team, and and come back and and finish off the year strongly. One of those guys who has been in the NBA for many years, Joe, but isn't right now, is your Australian Olympic teammate. Uh, Mr. Aaron Baines, and there's a big story on yeah. ESPN. Windhorse wrote it, and wow, he went down while you guys were playing, and then he was in a serious situation with his health. They weren't sure what's going on in the hospital for months at a time. He's finally back in Australia, and he's not playing this year. I'm assuming you knew all about that, but as I read that thing this morning, wow, man, that's big time scary. Yeah, obviously, I've known about, <laughs> obviously known about it. Um, with it happening during the Olympics, and um, yeah, I mean it's a, it's obviously first and foremost is about him and his his health, and he's got three young kids and a, and a beautiful wife and family, and um, you just want the guy to be healthy. That's the, the end of the day. You want him to be able to play with his kids and and do all that. Basketball is a very very deep down the line thought when you you're talking about injuries that that, that he had. Um, Obviously, slipping and and um, kind of smacking his head, neck. Um, yeah, it's a, it was. It, I mean, it was scary for us as as a team. It happened during a game. Uh, he, he ran back to go to the toilet, and then um, we just kind of never saw him for the rest of that game um, until we got back to the locker room. So, um, as I mean, especially with a few like I've been teammates with him in the national team for eight or eight years, ten years, whatever it's been now, and Renee's close with his wife, and, and obviously I've, I've, I know his wife and his kids really well, and, and obviously him, so like I said, it's first and foremost, you you just hope that, obviously, his health, like he, <laughs> at the end of the day, 
wherever wherever we play or whatever people think of us as players or whatever, right? we're all humans. We've got kids. We're, we we've got our uh, life outside of this, and and that's what. Um, obviously, you wish for him. You want him to be able to, to go out in the backyard and play with his kids and, and stuff like that. So he's he, he's in a much better space space now. Um, like you said, he's back in Brisbane where he um, had lived in the off season, but obviously is is living now at the time. And um, again, like I said, basketball is probably the the least last thing on his mind right now. He's he needs to get healthy and. Um, and then figure out what he wants to do, whether he wants to come back here or play in Australia or, or, or just be done and spend time with his family. I think these things, when you have an injury, um, a serious injury, it, it puts into perspective if what you want to do with your life. Do you, do you want to keep doing this? Do you want to keep putting your body through this? And um, again, like I said, I, I hope he's hope he's getting healthier and healthier and um, we still obviously chat and, and, and talk and we've still got our boomers group chat that we, that we still message and stuff in so um, yeah a bit of a, a scary thing to go through as a team and and on the flip side of that basketball related he, he was a huge part of our team so when he did go down it was like we've got this chance to win a medal and um, one of our players has been a big part of our culture building and, and changing what what we were kind of the culture we had and what we were trying to trying to do as a as a country um and he's been a big part of it for the last 10 years so um yeah scary thing but but glad he's in a, a much better space now and um like i said hopefully he just keeps getting healthier and healthier thanks for joining us joe we'll talk to you next week and there's a good chance that the two old codgers dj and pk will be back together again so the three of us can converse one with the other yeah, I'll believe it when I see it. <laughs> okay, thanks, Joe. I <laughs> uh, appreciate it. That was Joe. We thank him. You know, if he's going to get traded on the 10th, that means uh, after seven-plus years going on eight years, we only got one more time. Let's hope he's not traded. I hope he stays. All right, coming up next, what is trending? Got to get you up to date on that late BYU basketball game and the Jazz playing tonight. We got it all. Stay with us, 97.5, 1280 The Zone.